0: Who is this king? Who is this king? Who is Jesus? And in some respects, that is a really simple question, you might think. Who who is Jesus? But here's the deal. I reckon that if I were to ask that question to each of you individually in this room, we would get possibly as many answers as there are people. Who is Jesus to you? What are the characteristics of Jesus that you would choose to focus on? And so we've got eight of these Sundays between the beginning of January and the beginning of March where we're going to be asking that question from eight different perspectives and looking at who Jesus is. And the reality is that those eight Sundays will only just scratch the surface in terms of looking at who Jesus is. And some of the talks in this series um, you'll really like, I hope, because they'll make you feel nice and warm inside, and you'll think, oh, that sounds like the Jesus I know. And some of the talks, I suspect, will... um, unsettle you a bit because they will present aspects of who Jesus is that maybe jar a little bit with who you imagine Jesus to be. They jar with the Jesus of your imagination. They, they make you confront aspects of who Jesus is that are a little bit uncomfortable. And the challenge for us always is, will we come to Excuse me. Will we come to and accept and worship the Jesus of the whole of the Bible and not simply pick and choose the aspects of Jesus' teachings and his character that best suit us, that we find most palatable, that chime with our prejudices? So if you were here last Sunday, um, there was a great talk that Kent gave on Jesus as the Son of God. And one of the challenges that he gave us was How we see Jesus. Do we see Jesus as a great teacher? Do we see Jesus as a prophet sent from God? Do we see Jesus as a moral leader? Well, he was all those things. Or do we come to Jesus and worship him as the Son of God? And the Bible passage that we're going to read in just a moment is actually the exact same story that we had last week, but told from a different perspective in a different gospel. So last week, if you remember, we looked at the story of the baptism of Jesus, which was from Matthew's gospel. And Jesus comes to the River Jordan and John the Baptist baptizes him and the Holy Spirit settles on him. And there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And this week we're going to look at the same story, but this time told by the Apostle John. And he tells it differently because as you'll hear in a minute, he doesn't go into the details of what happened in terms of the actual baptism of Jesus. I think he sort of assumes that we've read this somewhere else, that we've heard the story from someone else. So he wants to tell us a different bit of the story, which is the public appearance of Jesus and an explanation of who he is. So let's read it together. Uh, You can find it on page 1063 if you've got a church Bible and it's the book of John chapter 1 and it starts at verse 29 and we're going to read through to 42. So John 1 29 and uh, let me read it for us. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, "'Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world,' This is the one I meant when I said, "'A man who comes after me has surpassed me "'because he was before me. "'I myself did not know him, "'but the reason I came baptizing with water "'was that he might be revealed to Israel.'" Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by and he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that John had said, uh, what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. Loads of stuff in that passage, and I could have preached in multiple different directions this morning, but I'm just going to pick up on a couple of those verses that are really significant. So, have a look at verse 29. Jesus appears, and John the Baptist chooses to introduce Jesus by saying this. So the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Twice that phrase crops up. Skip ahead to verse 35. And again, it's the next day we're told Jesus is walking by, and John looks at him and says, Look, the Lamb of God. They're the words that John the Baptist uses to introduce us to Jesus, the Lamb of God. Now, as um, Michael's game really helpfully illustrated for us this morning, um, that is a weird phrase, isn't it? Lamb of God. Um, We don't really use that as a descriptor for anybody other than Jesus, and we don't really use it outside of church circles. And so, 2,000 years after the event, it is a slightly strange phrase for us to get our head around. Why would John the Baptist refer to Jesus as the Lamb of God? And um, we, we see that in aspects of the church's worship. So in some of the Church of England's communion liturgy, it says, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. In some of our worship songs, in some of our hymns, we refer to Jesus as being the Lamb. And I've often thought, if you didn't grow up in church or didn't grow up in a Christian home, or quite frankly, even if you did, you might hear some of these phrases and think, what on earth does that mean? What a weird phrase for these Christians to be using. What does the Lamb of God mean? What is it all about? And I think to understand what John is getting at when he introduces Jesus like this, you've got to understand a little bit of the backstory. story. So um, let me tell you a bit of a story from, from my own life to just make the point. Uh, it was about six years ago, and Anna and I were living in Durham at the time. And uh, one weekend, we were traveling down from Durham to Leicester for a friend's wedding. And uh, it down the A1 M, and then onto the M1. And at the time, we owned a little uh, Fiat 500, a little 2010 Fiat 500. Uh, there's a picture. There we go. That that was said car. Um, now I um, have to say, Anna bought this car before we got together. Uh, it is quite a girly car. Um, and um and so I kind of inherited this car as part of the marriage deal, which was, uh, yeah, which was a uh, n- n- nice little, nice little extra perk. Um, anyway, Anna christened this car Bella, so th- this this was Bella, and Bella lived from 2010 to 2017, and uh, we uh, we finally said our goodbye to Bella um, a few years ago. So. Um, This particular day, Bella had been in the garage because this warning light kept flashing up on the dashboard and something was obviously wrong and it wasn't very clear what. So she'd been in the garage all day and we knew we had this long journey to make. And I picked Bella up from the garage at the end of the Friday and the mechanics there said to me, "Um, you'll be absolutely fine, we've sorted everything, you'll be absolutely fine to make this journey, don't worry about it, famous last words. An hour and a half or so into this uh, long journey, the car engine started making a horrendous noise. I've never heard anything like it, and um, started because of screaming and screeching, and it was obvious that something was not at all right. So we pulled over into the hard shoulder and sort of crawled the half mile or so to the nearest service station, which was Weatherby Services, I'll never forget it, and um, We called for breakdown and after a very long wait, breakdown truck arrived, car got towed away and the upshot was that the car engine had blown and it was irreparable and we needed a new engine and the cost, the estimated cost was going to be at least £1,000. Now, um, I was a theological college student at the time. Um, We were a bit strapped for cash. um, We were living a a little bit hand-to-mouth. And and the reality was we didn't have a £1,000 knocking around. Um, But we were also completely dependent upon the car because Anna was travelling about 25 miles every day down to Middlesbrough, which was the school where she was working at. So we're dependent on the car but didn't have this money to fix it. So we're stumped. What do we do? So we ended up having a conversation with my parents. And turns out some old family friends lived not too far away. I hadn't seen this family since I was like... 10 or something. Uh, so we ended up going and staying the night with this family, which was really interesting and, and slightly awkward uh, to sort of arrive there as a 25-year-old. And uh, yeah, to the, this couple who last see me when I was 10. But we stayed the night with them, thanks to my parents' connection. And then we spoke again to my parents the following day. And the conversation went something like this. They said, um, don't worry. We've had a chat about it. Get the car fixed. We'll pick up the bill. Wow. So all of a sudden, we moved from real worry and anxiety you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to be able to fix this car? Maybe we'll have to rack up a huge credit card debt. Maybe we'll have to take out an awful loan with a horrible interest rate. Maybe we'll be in real financial difficulty for the next few months. That cloud that was hanging over us suddenly lifted as a result of one conversation because my parents took the financial hit. In the days of Jesus, uh, as his ministry was unfolding when he was walking the earth, the Jewish people were saddled with a burden that they could not bear. It wasn't a financial burden like in this story. It was a burden of sin. And um, over many, many generations, the Jewish people had rebelled against God, they had gone their own way, they had done their own thing, they had failed to obey his commandments, they had rejected God's ways, and the reality was that the people of God were lost and they needed rescuing. They were unclean, and they needed cleansing, and they were powerless to help themselves. And so across the Old Testament, God had given the people of Israel a custom, and it was called the sacrificial system. It changed and evolved over the course of Israel's history, but the basic premise was this, that the people of Israel would take an unblemished lamb from their pool of livestock, an unblemished lamb, and they would ceremonially put all of the sin, all of the wrongdoing, all the wickedness, the evil, the guilt, and the shame onto this unblemished lamb. That lamb would then be slaughtered, and ritualistically, ceremonially, all the sin and the brokenness of the people of Israel would be done away with, as that lamb was slaughtered. It was a metaphor. And it was a powerful image, but it was only an image because, of course, an animal cannot actually take away human guilt and human sin. It was tokenistic. It was a picture. But imagine, therefore, when Jesus shows up and John the Baptist points to him and says, Look, The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Any Jew who knew their Torah, who knew their law, who knew the stories and the history would have known what John was getting at. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Jewish people had ceremonially placed all of their sin and guilt on an animal and now John was saying this is going to happen for real. All of the brokenness, sin, shame, guilt and wrongdoing of the Jewish people and indeed of the whole world would now not be ceremonially placed on an animal but would be actually placed on the shoulders of one man the Son of God, Jesus. Now, why is that significant? It is significant because it means that Jesus took the hit for us. He took the hit. The cross, which is the symbol of the Christian faith, is about many things. It conveys many things. But at the heart of it is the simple message that Jesus bailed us out. He bailed us out and set us free. He took the hit. I remember those feelings that we had stuck at Weatherby service service station when Poor little Bella had been towed away on the back of a tow truck. And there we are, no car, no money. We looked at the cost of, could we just stay the night at the services hotel? And uh, even that was just too expensive. We just couldn't afford to do it. We began to kind of brainstorm, as you do, what are all the things we could do? Maybe we could find a a cheap second-hand car. Turns out second-hand cars aren't that cheap. And so we're sort of hypothesizing all these things we can do. And the reality was we were stumped, we were helpless, we just didn't know what to do. And one conversation turned all that around because somebody else took the hit. Years later, the apostle Peter would write this. Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. Let me say that again. Jesus personally carried in his body on the cross our sins so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. So who is this king? That's the question. Who is this king? He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Just for a moment, try and get your mind around that. It's amazing. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of Of the world. And I wonder if perhaps some of you this morning, as you come to worship, are feeling heavy laden. You're feeling like there is a load on your shoulders that you are carrying. I don't know what that is. That might be a sense of regret about some things in your past, it might be a sense of guilt or shame. It might even be, if you are really honest with yourself, a feeling that you are just not good enough for God. Because God is like holy and the king of kings and you're just little old you and you can never be good enough for God. Maybe actually you just feel a sense of alienation from God. You come to church and you feel like those around you talk a lot about who God is and you feel like you know about God, but actually there isn't that heart connection. You don't feel like you know who he is. Well, Jesus has come to lift heavy Burdens and he has come to bring forgiveness and he has come to bring healing and he has come to bring wholeness and he has come this morning to set you free. Folks, if you ever doubt how much Jesus loves you, look at the cross. Look at the cross because on the cross, Jesus took the hit for you, Jesus bore the weight. That you should be carrying and I should be carrying. If you ever doubt how much he loves you, just look at the cross. Jesus said, Greater lovers, no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. And he called his disciples friends. I wonder if Johnny and the band could just come up for a moment, and I want us to respond and to pray together. Can I invite you to stand? I want to put these questions to you and to ask you to reflect on these in your own heart. As you come into the presence of Jesus... Have you truly, utterly and completely accepted his forgiveness for you? We talk a lot, don't we, about God's mercy, God's grace. We know that we're forgiven. But if you are really honest, have you totally and utterly accepted his forgiveness of you? Do you know how much he loves you? Is there any sense this morning as you come to worship that you are carrying a weight and that you are carrying a burden? Because if there is, he wants to lift it off you and to set you free. That is what Jesus, the Lamb of God, does. So in a moment of quiet, just think if... Any of those, and they may not, and that's fine, but if any of those questions and challenges speak to you, and God is highlighting something in your heart. I'm going to sing a song of worship together that allows us to respond Um, and here's what I'd love to invite you to do. We do this quite often and hopefully you're you're used to it by now which is just creating space for us to pray for one another. If you know that something that I have spoken about uh, this morning speaks to you, that God is highlighting something and you want to respond and you want to pray then all I want you to do in the little groups that you're sat in is to take one step forward, just so that it's clear to those around you that you're responding. And if somebody in the group that you are sat with has done that and taken that one step forward, would you be so bold as to lay a hand on their shoulder and to pray for them? They might want to tell you what they want prayer for. They might not, and that's okay. Simply pray that the Holy Spirit would minister to them. The simplest prayer, one of the oldest prayers that the church has ever had, is simply, come Holy Spirit. And that may be all you need to say. And so if the Lord is calling you to respond, take a step forward and those around you, keep your eyes open, lay a hand on their shoulder and begin to pray and uh, we're going to sing together as we do that.